Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Wednesday, July 5th. Derek Ben Riper here with Chris Welsh. You know, Saris enjoying a much deserved vacation just ahead of the All Star break. Probably going broke at Legoland. If I had to guess what Eno is doing right now, mm. it's losing money at an astonishing rate at Legoland. Well, it's not like a casino. You know, he's not just like, <laughs> you're not going bonkers. But to your point, it's like, all right, what's everybody want? And it's like, I want that $40, you know, stick of candy. And it's like, dang it. <laughs> yeah, so you're probably right. Overpay for Legos and stuff. I've been there. It's actually a pretty fun place. Might be going next week, either Universal or Legoland. So me and Eno were strategizing. But yeah, he's probably burning in some sun and burning some money. Both is there some kind of well. circuit that you do as parents where like you guys all went to water parks earlier <laughs> in the summer? I don't know. Yeah, me and him are on we're on like the same cycle of that those things. He goes to the Great Wolf, I went. I don't know. We're just we have the same mindset. We really don't like money, is what we 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 like happy family, but no financial <laughs> security. That is what these theme parks are attempting to uh, do to all of us. Yeah, they're doing a good job based they're on everything I've job. heard. Looking forward to when they can wreak havoc on me here in the next few years. Oh, it's coming, buddy. It's coming it, quick. It is. Lots to talk about today. We've got a promotion. we got a prospect coming back up on the south side of Chicago. We're going to dig into the Futures game rosters a good bit as well. That game's coming up on Saturday. But we begin today with a promotion. Colton Kowser gets the call to Baltimore. He will debut on Wednesday Welsh, I think the interesting thing for me with Colton Kowser is that the the sum of the parts might be better than all the parts. Because if you look at the scouting grades they have published over at Fangraphs, you would think Colton Kowser is just going to be this sort of average regular, which is a good player. It's a great outcome for a big yeah. league player. I'm not trying to talk down on that, but has something changed for him since the second half of last season when he first reached double A because he, he seems like he's got a power and speed combo. That's a notch or two above what previous expectations had set for us. Yeah. I mean, more patience as well. The guy has an almost 19% walk rate in triple A, which is crazy. 18.7. The strikeout rate has gone down better quality of contact. You talk about that power over 200 ISO at three different stops, which included triple A ending out last year, the quality of contact is just really solid. Good line drive hitting, not crazy ground balls. Something I think is really impressive with him as well is he's hitting over 300 against both righties and lefties so far mm. this year. And I'm a big Colton Kowser guy. And they got so many of them. Westberg, Colton Kowser, Connor Norby, who's still sitting out there. Obviously, Holiday. Kowser's actually my, not counting Holiday, of the guys that were going to you know come up this year. Kowser is actually my favorite. He's my favorite of this crew. And I'm, you know, we got to figure out what's going to happen because I know Hayes is hurt. When that goes away, 
can Kowser be able to stick and stay up uh, at the behest of Aaron Hicks? You know, they signed Aaron Hicks and he was doing pretty decent. But I just think Colton Kowser is a really good offensive piece. I do think there's a possibility that the num- this might be one of those guys that he's a better real-life player than a fantasy player. If he's hitting seven in an order, I think that limits the RBI opportunities. I don't know what the runs will look like. I love for the future of him being able to hit, let's say, two or three. And it's still, I don't know, Brandon Nimmo kind of comes to mind when I think of him. There's been some more batting average issues with him in general, but I, I wonder if it looks something like that. Maybe a few more stolen bases. Either way, I'm encouraged, and I really hope to see him move up in the order in the batting lineup. That's where I want to see him. But in a 12-team, five-outfielder, as far as redraft goes, I'm absolutely picking him up, and I would have been targeting him in Dynasty all year. Yeah, I think that Nimmo comp, at least as like a offensive profile floor, makes a lot of sense. And I think yeah. the, the thing that I'm most interested to see is against top-level pitching, what is that quality of contact going to look like? It's the thing that I'm usually the most excited about for a position player prospect, but for Kowser in particular, because this power in the upper levels of the minor leagues has been at a level that's above those expectations, I want to know if he can hit premium velocity. I want to know if he can hit premium breaking balls and if that that strike zone judgment, if it's still elite or if it's just very good. Either way, there's a really nice foundation here. The crowding on the depth chart, that will be a problem once everyone's healthy. I mean, once you've got Ryan Mountcastle healthy at first base, there's a little bit of a spillover effect in the DH role where Anthony Santander gets a lot of his playing time. So that could be a, a contributing factor to limiting the playing time. I wonder how much a team like the Orioles believes in the lefty-righty split from the minors. They should. I mean, I think that's a pretty good indication to at least give a player like Kowser a chance to play against same-handed pitching. And I think when you look up and down that roster, I don't see enough mix-and-match righties that you'd like. Some teams have those players. The Orioles really aren't one of them. So I think they would probably be set on letting Kowser see some lefties. That's something to get a pretty close eye on, too, in terms of the, intent, uh, the intentional the intent of usage here overall. Uh, the Aaron Hicks factor is just so bizarre because he looks so done with the Yankees and the first stretch with the Orioles has been ridiculous. He has cooled off more recently, last couple of weeks, the last 14 days, 147, 275, 324 line. So that, that burst of, I'm out of New York. Things are different. The pressure is, is, is different here. Perhaps that's faded just a little bit as well. Kowser in a 12-team league. First come, first serve. Obviously, we'll be fab this weekend. Are you picking him up in a league that shallow, given how much you like him, given some of the playing time questions we're wrestling with here? Like, what's going to be the cutoff for a redraft roster ship? Yeah, so 12-team, five outfielder, I'm in. That's where I'm going with it. I think that's a no-brainer for Colton Kowser right now. Maybe also just kind of the, like, I'm going to blanket statement. I think for a majority of these hype, up-ish prospect. Colt Keith is another one people should have on their radars for redraft in the second half who's been dominating with the Tigers. I think that is just a great standard. Five outfielder, bigger 12 rosters. I'm picking up those prospects. 12 team, three outfielders. Eh, we're going to talk about another outfielder that I think is an interesting pairing of verses of <laughs> Colton Kowser or the next guy. Both of those guys I think are a little bit dicey, but if you've got just kind of you know, flexible movement as far as your roster goes, I would. 10 team, I'm probably just keeping an eye on. I have to imagine it's probably not worth it. And like I said, I'm a little bit worried about what the counting stats look like. Similar to Luis Matos. I think I came on here and said, like Matos had been destroying the minor leagues, is making really good contact, 
but what were the counting stats ultimately going to look like? And he might be a better real life player than a crazy impactful fantasy player. Kowser's got some of that as well. Actually, that's an interesting one. Who would you rather have, Matos or Kowser, for the rest of the year? I feel like there are fewer questions about playing time for Matos right now. So that might be the tiebreaker. But based on the the all-around production we've seen, slightest of edges to Kowser. That's a great toss-up, though. I think if you were interested in Matos before, you're definitely interested in Kowser for the same sort of league. Well, because people probably unloaded a little bit for Matos, you know, looking for a good patient hitter. Only 13% K percentage since he's come up. Uh, uh, Double-digit walk rates, OBP leagues, that's been good. A 10% walk rate, but he's hitting only 226. It's a little bit lower BABIP. I think there's room for growth. One homer, two stolen bases, hitting 226. That's kind of meh, but there's great plate discipline. I would cut Matos in favor of Kowser, thinking the offensive upside is bigger there's also an OBP element to it, and he walks. He just might strike out a tiny bit more. But to your point, you might be assured of where Montos is playing the rest of the year, where there are some questions on Kowser. Yeah, rest of season projections on Matos right now point to a 276, 319, 405 slash line. That is from the Bat X. We don't have a, a number from the Bat X yet on Colton Kowser. We have a steamer number. At 243, 346, 385, you can see that big OBP jump over the average, but some questions about the average because we've seen it at high A at the beginning of last season. Even when he finished last year at AAA, Colton Kowser was making some adjustments. You could just see the production really tailed off. The, the K rate jumped, but he cut that K rate considerably, repeating that level to begin this year. So it's really close for me, but I think I do see more ceiling with Kowser. I think that's where I would go as well if I had to make yeah. that call. The other option that might be available is likely available in those same leagues is Oscar Colas. He's back with the White Sox after a pretty successful run at AAA Charlotte. I think he can play a ton. Maybe he'll sit against lefties. That's probably a thing you want to bake into the initial expectations, right? Like don't don't just pencil him in for everyday opportunities, but... Though the th- interesting thing to throw to that, uh, because I was just recently talking about this, I don't think he was playing a lot against lefties before, mm-hmm. and that might have led to also one of those things, like if you're only a righty guy and you're not hitting righties very well, we can't hit you against lefties, we got to send you down. Colas, since he's been set down, hitting better against lefties than righties, hitting over 300 against lefties on the send down. I think it's 289 against righties. So he's just improved his pitch recognition and his plate skills to be hitting both sides of the plate, which make him way more intriguing. But yeah. there's the Kowser versus Colos. I think that's a really fun one as well, which I think I would still lean on Kowser for this one. Yeah, I, I think I would too. I, I think part of it's the redundancy of a guy like Gavin Sheets too. Gavin Sheets is also a lefty. He plays that same spot, so he could chip into some of that playing time on occasion, whereas I just think Kowser could be sort of like Matos where they just let him play. And I think with Colas, there are tantalizing tools. The long path to the big leagues, which really by age isn't that long, but just in terms of missing seasons and, and the process of defecting and, and getting getting to the point where he could sign, all of that was just such a, a long absence on his resume that I've wondered how long it would take for him to really find his stride in the States. It, generally, like everything he's done in the minor leagues going back to last season has looked really good. Yeah. Only thing that you'd see is maybe the occasional issues with strikeouts, but that's 
actually picking nits in a good profile. What we saw the first time from Colas this season in the big leagues was a pretty aggressive approach, chasing pitches outside the zone, a 43.7% O-swing percentage. That generally does not work all that well. Uh, the ground ball rate went through the roof, and that's something that, you see with the, a lot of guys. Like they, they get to the big leagues, they're pitched differently, the quality of the stuff's better, and all of a sudden the ground ball rate looks nothing like it did throughout their time in the minor leagues. That applies to Colas. Yep. It applies to Ellie De La Cruz. I don't think it's a, a sign of a long-term problem. I think it's just one of the ways that hitters have to adjust, and it takes some time. Yeah, no, that's actually exactly where I was going to go with it. And When he was here in those struggles against lefties and those struggles of swinging outside the zone, the two things that I think led to really bad results was he had a 61% ground ball rate. He was on average call it like 43%. Let's say he's a 43% ground ball guy. He had a 47% in high A, but he was down to uh, 45 this uh, past year in double A. And then it was actually 27 in triple A last year. He got sent down 42.5% ground ball rate. The other thing at the major league level in swinging on bad pitches and your pitch recognition being bad, he had a higher soft hit percentage than hard hit percentage (laughs) when he was up here in the majors. It's not good. It was a 29 to six ratio. That's obviously we're going to need and we're going to want the flip. So I'm encouraged about him making better decisions. I'm encouraged about the average against lefties. And I think those it's just bumps. You know, we are uh, spoiled by some of the incredibly talented like floor players that come up and don't have these bumps and bruises. And it really screws with us as far as like redraft value goes from a dynasty perspective. I think Colas has been a awesome buy low uh, because everyone was down because he, you know, cracks a roster, then gets sent down. This is a great buy low opportunity. He's done everything that you want in changes in the minor leagues. So we just have to monitor it again. I think if we, you know, we see not as many strikeouts, we see better decision-making. You're not going to see as uh, much soft hit contact and you're not going to see as much ground balls. Those are going to equate to much better results to the Oscar Colas we've seen in the minors. And that's why, I'm kind of in. I just think his he's a power play where Kowser is a five-tool play. And I think mm-hmm. Kowser actually has the ability to hit higher in a lineup than Colos ultimately would with the White Sox, unless the White Sox unload that roster over the next three weeks at the trade deadline. They really could. I mean, there's a few guys that really can't move. They got Andrew Benintendi on year one of that five-year deal. He's not going anywhere. That one hurts. Maybe you'll find someone who was interested in Tim Anderson if they're willing to go into the the younger core that signed longer guys like Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert could be on the move. You know, there's there's a few things they could tweak about this roster for I sure. I assume Robert doesn't go anywhere. I think Eloy could. I think Tim Anderson is the most likely. We also saw mm-hmm. him playing second base, creating some not only flexibility for themselves, but maybe trade value in showing teams. You know, remember, was it in the WBC was the first time he had ever professionally played second base. And then now he's doing it at the majors that it might just create more trade flexibility for a team that would want him in the middle infield, but might have the shortstop uh, position set. So I think Tim Anderson is likely. I think one of the pitchers are likely, but I just don't know if the roster is decimated where then it's like, all right, Colas is hitting four every single day. (laughs) Uh, Same thing could happen to Kowser, though. You know, Kowser could be one of those guys where they feel his on-base skills and contact, they actually want to put on the back half of the order. But I also wouldn't be shocked if he does have a 400-plus OBP. 
I don't know. You consider hitting that guy like two. You know, if he's going to get on base, put him in a more prominent spot in the order if you're trying to win games and then drive him in. So, uh, you know, it's, again, it's coming back to all of these are coming back to Kowser over them. But I'm encouraged for Colos. Colos versus Matos rest of season. DVR. There was a time when I played fantasy baseball where that would have been a snap answer for Colos because he's the higher ceiling even better raw tools sort of player. But the longer I've played, the more I've sort of shifted back toward the, how do you stay on the field? Well, Luis Matos plays center field for a team that doesn't really have a clear alternative to play center field. And I think I also start to bet a little more on hit tool now than I used to. I used to, I used to under undervalue the hit tool in the face of big time power. And Oscar Colas has big time power. We saw an 86 percentile max exit velo, right? That's a great idea of how much raw power he has. So I'm Matos over Colas in a neutral situation, which is most pickup situations. If I was really desperate for power, I do think there is an argument for Colas because I think the playing time will be similar. I think the, the Gavin Sheets mentioned before, Basically a speed bump. We've seen almost 800 career plate appearances from Gavin Sheets. He's 27 years old. The odds of Gavin Sheets being a prominent piece on the next good White Sox team are extremely low. So Colas should be able to play on a near everyday basis. But for me, Matos was doing a lot of things really well in the minors. In these first 20 games he's played in the big leagues, he's holding his own. I think our... Sometimes our expectations for players debuting get just completely decimated by the occasional star that comes up and just makes it look easy right away. What Matos is doing right now is actually pretty impressive for his age. Yeah. And, you know, coming back to like, where does he play? I think that's a really good argument to make because they've also just got these guys. They've got guys upon guys of where they're trying to fit the positions. I mean, Jake Berger in some of the struggles has been phenomenal. Yon Moncada, I believe, is starting a rehab assignment post All-Star break. So he's going to be back. Could be another trade candidate. So I do think there are some bigger questions on like where he plays. And if he does struggle, how much are they going to let him you know, work through it? Matos doesn't have that. And I kind of agree with what you're saying. The hard hit numbers don't look good right now for Matos. Only 34% hard hit rate. Bail rate, I'd like to see higher for him, but he does have around a 30 uh, point bump in his XBA. So closer to a 260 hitter, which I think you like to see. You just want to make see him make better decisions because a 5% barrel rate with a 2% launch angle is not going to equate to a lot of fantasy output. So I still do worry that Oscar Colas, if if we're doing caveats like you were doing, if Colas were to be the guy given the spot for the rest of the year, I do think he would outperform Matos, but I think there's more risk. And why are we taking risk at this point with either one of the Colas's upside isn't so great that you can't just play the full floor of Matos if he does fix some of those things. But like I said, you got to fix that launch angle and that barrel percentage if you're going to be a little bit more successful from a counting stats standpoint. Yeah, I think the other part of Matos's game that could actually come through for us, though, too, is the speed. We've yeah. seen you know, 15 for 19 as a base dealer between AA and AAA before the promotion, 2 for 2 in his first 18 games. As that OBP creeps up, I assume it will creep up a bit. We might see more green lights for Matos, and maybe it's a, a speed and average way ahead of power sort of profile from Matos. That would not be surprising at all, you know, based yeah. on the player he was supposed to be ever since they brought him into the organization. I just but, worry he. I just don't want him to become that like you know DJ LeMayhew brand of player, the two per, you know the two percent barrel guys and stuff like that. That I worry about, but th- that's why he would have to pick up the speed in that game. But but the order: Kowser, Matos, Colas. I think we both uh, uh, agree. Yeah, 
yeah, and it's it's playing the floor a little bit on Matos for sure in uh, having them ranked that way. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Let's talk about the Futures game rosters. That game will go down on Saturday on Peacock, by the way, so make sure you've got the the app ready to go if you want to watch that game as it happens. The rosters from last year were loaded with players that have debuted in the year since the game was played. And I think we'll get to an exercise in a bit where we start to look for some players that we think from this year's rosters will debut before next year's game is played. I mean, up and down, plenty of guys that you've you've seen and they've made an impact already. I wanted to start with this broader idea that the pitching's pretty thin this year in particular, especially the AL pitchers. (laughs) NL pitchers are a bit better. Is this because of all the promotions we've been talking about on this show throughout the season? Is that why this group of pitchers is a little bit underwhelming collectively compared to the position players, especially? I assume so. It actually, I remember when I first saw the rosters release, it didn't like occur to me. And I was like, what's up with this AL pitching? Like, I don't want to be judgy, but like Clayton Bader, Jonathan Cannon, like that, that, those are the big pieces that we're having out there. But if you think about it, you know, Logan Allen is off that list. You've had some injuries. You've got Tanner Bybee that's off that list. Taj Bradley, who was pitching last year, off that list. Not that he necessarily would have been eligible. And then I think the top end, one of the other things that took away, who would probably be the ace of the game, but has been dealing with some injuries. And God knows, uh, I've heard some stuff of what's going on. But like Ricky Tiedemann. Ricky Tiedemann mm-hmm. would be like the star of this, one of the best pitchers in baseball. And there's been some real big injury struggles overall. But yeah, I think a lot of that has to do with uh, the amount of call-ups that we've seen. And I'm even going through my list and I'm looking for the AL pitchers. You know, outside of, I mean, Gavin Williams is another one, but he's up in the majors. You've got Ricky Tiedemann. As far as my top 500 or my top 100 prospects, I have Ricky Tiedemann, who has not come up. Brian Wu and Miller, but they're both have come up and mm-hmm. hurt. Um, the next guys are some of the Texas pitchers. Lighter hasn't really been deserved. Brock Porter would be, but he's so young. 
And then going down, the only other guy I have on the top 100, or I guess two you could throw out, are Emerson Hancock and Frank Mazzucato, who had injuries. So AL does have like an over, over underwhelming sense of big star players because they're all just up at the majors. That's what I'm chalking it up to. But it's not to say that the guys that that there aren't some exciting guys on there. Joey Cantillo is exciting. David Festa, when you get to see him, is pretty good. But yeah, I mean. Owen White, Will Klein. It's not. It's not super. It might be a lot of rel- future relief pitchers we're seeing out of this group. Yeah, I tried to flag three that I was interested in seeing from the AL group, and Owen White was the one that I was like, eh, I guess Owen White. But you got the other two, Cantillo and Festa. Uh, from Cantillo from the Guardians organization, Festa from the Twins organization. Cantillo's at AAA. He's just kind of in the wrong organization right now to break through and have a, an easier path to. Uh, a starting rotation spot he's had some injuries he's had some injuries over the last year i think like a lot of last year was stunted and i want to say i could be wrong about this but i believe the beginning of this year was kind of stunted as far as the production so i think injuries have held back and he's just been more aggressively pushed but to your point like other organizations he might not he might already be up or he could a be a trade candidate if they want to buy or b if they have i mean how wacky would it be, by the way, if we could get Cantillo up and it's just this whole rotation of all these rookies? There's always a possibility that he could have some production uh, sometime this year. But former uh, Padres prospect as well. Yeah, yeah part of that was a big swap. Was that the big old Fran Mil Reyes, Josh Naylor, like that giant blockbuster those teams I made? Think so. Blockbuster. Yeah, I think it was so. A huge oh. trade at the time, like number of Fran players Mill. at least. Yeah, poor Fran. <laughs> I mean, I love Fran Mill, but yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it was. Uh, Cantillo has struggled with control. That's the kind of the thing that I was wondering about. I want to, we get to watch him on Saturday. Like, is he locating well? Like what, what's the reason behind the walk rates being as high as they've been at pretty much every stop so far? I think there was low a in 2019 was one of the few times where he had a, a single digit walk rate over a prolonged volume of innings. And since then it's been a lot of issues. Misses a ton of bats though. So you can kind of see what's pulling people in David Festa might be someone that is really underrated right now, because if you look at the surface yeah. numbers, the ERA is up over five right now at double a he's not young for the level either. He's a 23 year old, just turned 23 back in March, but across the board actually has a pretty interesting scouting report, maybe three pitches with possibly above average command like this. This is the kind of guy that doesn't get a lot of hype. And then all of a sudden gets to the upper levels of the minors, puts it together and, Oh, hey, look at this guy. Now we got to go throw a big chunk of fab at, at David Festa. Results at double A again, not drawing a lot of attention right now. But have you had a chance to see him before? I know being on the on the twins, he's a, he's a Florida guy instead of an Arizona yeah, guy. Yeah, not an in-person. This is yeah. this is only like watching on MILB.tv. This would actually would have been one of the guys I'm kind of hopeful would be an AFL player. And at double mm-hmm. A, maybe he doesn't get pushed. There's a Bailey Over vibe, uh, I feel, in here as well. Want to point out on the ERA, 521, but a 3-7 XFIP in double a so far this year and he's up to 57 innings he did have a little over 100 last year so there's always a possibility he could get pushed it'll be interesting to see um where his 2024 value could look like and this is what a lot of these guys do what was it 100 let's call it 105 i didn't do quick math that he pitched last year he's around 56 this year he pitches through the year and then he goes to the afl to jump up and get more innings maybe he takes five or seven starts so you can start prepping them to have a major league workload. And that's where I think you could see. So I don't think he's like a this year guy, but I think he can continue to succeed in that. Like it's big strikeout numbers is a third highest K 
per nine that he's had at any level, and he's doing it at double A. He's got around a three and a half walk per nine, which is a little high. So there's stuff to work on overall. But yeah, the three pitch arsenal is pretty fascinating with Festa, and he's been kind of a steady climber on my prospect list. Yeah, Velo ticked up last year. That was the the thing that really unlocked another level for him. 13th round pick back in 2021. So pretty nice work by the twins seeing what we've got so far from Festa, but definitely on the list of the AL pitchers that I'm most excited about. On the NL side, things are a lot better. Am I being a homer for being really nope. excited about Jacob Mizorowski? Nope. I knew you were going to do it. I knew that's exactly where you're going to go with it. Now, I, uh, on my show prospect one that I do, I talked about this game and I was going through, you know, who am I excited to watch and who am I excited to see? And the thing I said was, I think Jacob Mizorowski will be the one in a singular inning that is the best potential for highlight reel stuff yeah. that we're all looking back on that. It's going to be, you know, a single clip that's tweeted out because there are uh, not only just like big velo numbers, he's a big dude, six foot seven, and there are big spin numbers he's mm-hmm. got as well. And that's the thing that I'm getting jazzed about. He's going to sling in a big fastball. He's got a slider. He's got a curveball. If that slider puts up big spin, I think, you know, in that inning with him pushing back, you're going to get highlight stuff. One eight three ERA he's had so far on the year, around 11K per nine. Walks have been a little bit crazy, but, you know, you're going to have this offensive want to swing and, you know, be a highlight for the uh, for the batters. I think Mizorowski is going to come in and he's going to have like a clean inning strikeout to, you know, now he's going to give up four and runs or whatever, <laughs> but, but he's going to have one of those like two to three. He might even strike out the side. Uh, he's actually probably the one I'm most excited. I watched some of these guys, some of these guys a little bit older. I've, I've seen Tinkens in person, uh, Mick Abel, Kyle Harrison. We've seen these guys, but Mizorowski and uh, Patrick uh, Monteverde are the two that I'm probably most. Monteverde is more of a pop-up guy for me this year. But Mizorowski, I think, has some of the highest potential. And I have him as a top 100 pitcher on my prospect dynasty fantasy list. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a much better group on the NL side. And Mizorowski, he's a second rounder from last year from Crowder College. I think the thing that's really interesting about professional baseball right now is pitchers are coming from all over the place. Like there's, there's no end right now to the programs where high quality pitchers are being scouted and and drafted from. It's, it's really kind of a impressive. I know the Brewers have been doing this for a few years. They're hardly the only team that are looking in, in non-traditional places to find players like this. And it looks like a potentially special combination of skills and possibility for two plus breaking balls, big velo on the fastball, uh, you see high walk rates in the very early stages of his career. I'm hoping that Mizorowski is in Appleton, the high A affiliate for the Brewers, long enough for me to go see him. Like I'm, oh, I, yes. I, I'm going to drive faster, you know, safely of course to get back, <laughs> just to hopefully see Mizorowski before a possible. But I don't think they'd bump him again right away, but. I also don't think he's going to be much longer for high A. Like maybe we'll see a late season bump to double A just to give him a few starts at that level too. You know, you know, it's funny. This doesn't happen like that. I don't really actually, I can't recall, but I will talk to players about other players plenty of times. Sometimes it's easier. You know, when a guy has to talk about themselves, they get very like, oh, mm-hmm. working, you know, same answer. But if you get a guy to talk about someone else, you can get stuff. But I don't really recall many times I've had players mentioned to me about another player but this year when I was at, I went to Brewer, I didn't go to Brewers camp a bunch. I went once or twice. 
But Eric Brown, who I really like, who's a shortstop prospect for the Brewers, asked me had I seen Mizorowski pitch in <laughs> person. And I was like, no, I haven't seen him pitch in person. And he was like, you have to go see him. He was just lauding Mizorowski. So I'm very excited to see him. And I just, I think if you talk about like uh, from a dynasty perspective and prospecting, I don't usually rank, and we talked about this a couple of weeks back, I don't rank or value pitchers insanely high. It's not to say that I don't go after them. But a lot of the reasons behind that is to pay some of the big prices on the top pitchers. I hate to do when there are always a handful of guys that are like post 75 to one. I think that 75 to 150 value range has always just got gems, guys that are going to skyrocket. And those are the guys at cheaper costs I want to invest in in trades or even in like restart drafts. And Mizorowski, my point is, that's one of these guys. Like I have him as a top 100. I think some people are starting to get in on it. This is a guy next year who could be top 10 SP in the minor leagues. I don't think that's ridiculous, especially if the walk rate comes down. It could go uh, another direction. One other guy I wanted to throw out to you, I didn't know if we were going to move past this, is there's. I think there's been some stuff that's centered around him. There was some stuff in college that I think, I'm trying to remember if he was suspended and he had to go play on the Cape. But Carson Wisenhunt is someone... I really like, I like watching him. He was out here in the AFL and he has got an insane changeup, just an absolutely devastating changeup. Uh, I'm actually not looking here. I don't know what, I'm going to see if I can see what fan graphs rates this out at, but it's one of the best changeups I've seen in the minor leagues. Fastball can get a little bit wonky, but I think he's got a real shot with that changeup to be uh, an impact pitcher. And he's had some pretty good sec- success with it this year. And I chatted with him a little bit in, in the AFL about that changeup. He's very proud of it. And it is just an absolutely loopy monster pitch. It's not like necessarily like Gavin Stones where it's very splitter-ish. But I feel like you could rate it in that same general area. So that's another guy to watch out for. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's a great pull. He's getting a look at Double A right now. Carson Wisenhunt was a second rounder of the Giants last year. Had a failed PED test in college. That's what it that's was. That's what so, it was. Yeah, yeah. So that was the that was the issue that he ran into. But um, really interesting arm and guy that's having a great year. Which for the Giants prospects as a group, you know, having seen Matos and Bailey and Schmidt already in the big leagues, we talked about this a few weeks ago too. To have some more success stories even behind that, that's huge for them because I think we were wondering. This offseason, you know, what's the identity of this organization? We know Farhan Zaidi has done an, a great job finding major league talent on the scrap heap, but under his direction, did the organization have enough high quality big league talent coming through the minor league system? This has been just a, a great answer. Yeah, they they actually do. They've they've yeah. had a huge season in 2023. And um, I just found it. So Fangraphs, this makes sense. They rate it as a present 60 changeup with a future 70 value on the changeup. So I'm not like, I don't think I'm overplaying it when I tell you guys this, though the fastball is rated pretty low. And I think that's what could make him relief risk if Mm -hmm. he's not able to have at least a league average fastball and a league average curveball. They're both rated, you know, 45 futures, 40 current with decent command. So I think there's work to be done and you're able to make a lot work with a dominant changeup in the minors right now. So I do hope that they really press those other pitches. And maybe he needs to go back to the AFL for um, for this year for more innings. But he's seen some good success. And just I'm excited. I hope he just throws like three straight and strikes out someone in the Futures game so everyone can see what that thing looks like. 
let's shift the focus over to the position players. I mean, there's a couple layers here that you could talk as much about the players you want to see as, as you feel is necessary. I was starting to think about this more from the perspective of of these position players, which ones are most likely to debut before this game is played in 2024. I think a couple couple low-hanging fruit ones. We talked about Colt Keith and Justin Henry Malloy last week. Colt Keith, I mean, he could hit his way onto the roster before the end of this season. I don't think there's any real arguing against that. We've talked about Tyler Soderstrom before. Some of this is just the opportunity within the organizations, but another Oriole. Heston Kerstad, like what's stopping him other than maybe just not having an actual spot to play him. But I think before the middle of next season, that will be resolved via trade or some other means. So actually, I would I'll press it a little bit here. Let's say first, who are the guys that can come up this year? And Mm -hmm. I think you mentioned them. So it's Colt Keith, Tyler Soderstrom. The other one is Kyle Manzardo. Kyle Mm -hmm. Manzardo absolutely has the potential. I think those are three biggest radar, biggest impact they could produce this year. Throw out the side, like, uh, who'd you say? Justin Henry Malloy, if we're talking AL here. I think that's another one. I'm going to lean that, like, York and Marcelo Mayer don't. And I don't think Junior Caminero does. And I don't think Drew Gil- Heston Kersted is the closest other one. So it's like, I think there are three guaranteed with two others that are fringy that can uh, come up this year. Next year, and I think everybody is relatively on target here. Like Kyron Paris, probably not. Um, Jonathan Classe, I don't think so, but I'm not, I just don't want to say that none of these guys couldn't. Spencer Jones is only at high A. They need to press him a little bit more. Uh, but I think all of these guys are in play for next year. And then if you want to say who for sure is up before the all-star game next year, then I think it's like Marcelo Mayer, Heston Kerstead for sure. Um, and then there's like a handful that I would probably, I, I think Jackson Holiday could be up, but it's like how many players can they bring up at once in their whole system? Uh, the AL is pretty ripe with talent, but I think there are three guys from this Futures game that will produce this year. Yeah, Jonathan Classe is a, a really exciting player. He's bumped up from high A to double A already. He's already played 51 games at double A. The K rate's up a little bit. The results, just at a glance, aren't nearly as impressive as they were at his first stop. But given his age, there's really nothing to be concerned about you're talking about a, a switch hitting 21 year old at double a yeah sign me up for that there's a lot there in terms of tools yeah and k rates the problem though like that that's why i think it's it's he's held back just a little bit overall um but it's still improving i mean he had a three strikeout game on the fourth but before that he had four straight games without a strikeout so i mean this is all improving over time i just know with that roster that they're gonna make a big aggressive move on Classe. i think you stay here the rest of the year, maybe a short bump next year or uh, by the end of the year. And then, you know, you're starting at AAA. So by the Futures game, could he be up? Totally. I think it might be more about like, what does that roster look like? And have they made any moves? You know, what's going on with Kelnick and stuff like that? That's why he's a little bit fringy. But he has obviously been probably going to be up for one of the most improved, best offensive players in the minor leagues on the year because it, they're gaudy numbers. Uh, you know, if you don't look at some of the strikeout stuff, it's absolutely got, I mean, was it 16 homers? And 43 stolen bases he's put up this year. That's insane. Those are ridiculous, man. Yeah, those are very impressive numbers. The NL side has plenty of guys we could see. I mean, there was a point before the season began when I said there was a very decent chance we'd see Jordan Lawler before the end of the year because I had no expectation 
of Geraldo Perdomo being this good. If Geraldo Perdomo had a good season this year, for me, it was just that he got on base and played okay defense, and it was just like he's a one-and-a-half win player over a full season. Yeah. He's been amazing, and I know we've talked about the limitations in terms of the quality of the contact that he makes. And If you had to pick one player from the first half of this season who is very unlikely to repeat what they've done so far, he'd, he'd pop for me. I'd be like, yeah, I just I don't see another half quite this good coming from Perdomo anytime soon. Yeah. But Lawler, after a slow start this year, has really started putting it all back together. His if you didn't even see what was happening in the first month of the season and you just opened up his player page now, you really wouldn't know anything was terribly wrong to start the year. Yeah. It actually reminds me of um of like Anthony Volpe last year. If you guys remember, mm-hmm. Anthony Volpe had just like an absolutely atrocious two months. And then he ended up having these big gaudy stats and he had like a 250 or 245 average. Lawler's done that. He's up to 245. And, and again, like you're saying, it was bad. It was bad like three weeks ago. The average was pretty brutal. 11 homers, 26 stolen bases, strikeout rate, got back to maintainable. He ended last year, uh, only a handful of games, 20 games, but in AA, he had a almost 30% K rate. He's down to 23. He's got a double-digit walk rate. That's good. 200 ISO, which is great. Power numbers are there. I think Lawler still has a really decent shot at playing this year. I think the percentage of him doing a Corbin Carroll where he's up in September, getting a cup of coffee, and then is rookie eligible next year, I'll be honest with you, I think that's 90, 95% that happens. To come up before, I think it's like 55, 45 that it's going to happen. Perdomo, you're right. There's a lot of stuff in the underlying stuff that shows that he might regress a little bit. They're going to want to keep the offensive power. Also, Lawler, not only a solid defender, but he can run. You know, he can get that offensive going. You lack offensive production from Nick Ahmed. And that might be uh, a difference maker when they're trying to win, you know, screw trying to get the extra pick or whatever next year. But I think Lawler is a clo- really close to assured to come up this year. But the funny thing is I'm going through this. The, there's only one other guy I look at that it's like, oh, yeah, he will be up this year. And I think it's Indy Rodriguez. You know, mm-hmm. there's only so long they can keep Indy down where preseason I would have been like Jackson Merrill is coming up. Um, I probably would have speculated that uh, Jackson Churio would come up, maybe Pete Crow Armstrong, but I really think the only other assured is Indy Rodriguez, and he's probably the best bet of any of these hitters in the NL to come up, even over Lawler, but the AL has got more bats that are going to be up this year. Yeah, I've wondered on a few occasions if the Garrett Mitchell injury from the beginning of the season, Sal Freelich having a bunch of injuries, if those things might actually open the door for Churio, if he, if he puts together a long enough stretch at double A to just get the aggressive promotion just to see what happens. And he hasn't quite had a run like that. He's fine at double A, 21.5% K rate for a guy who is 19 years old. Yeah. That, that alone is great, but there's power, there's speed. There are signs of growth. It's just, it's, it's below league average in terms of the slash line performance. So I have a hard time seeing the Brewers jumping him to the big leagues with that as the the lead in. I think they want him to be running really well in the upper levels of the minor leagues before they have him break through that big league roster. Because to me, Achorio is kind of at that level. And Ellie De La Cruz is also at that level. Once you bring a guy like that up, yes, you always have the option to send a player down. But I think you look at him more as the kind of guy that's going to come up and he's going to stay up for good. 
Yeah, I agree with that. I, I actually think him and Lawler, they share kind of some similar characteristics as far as their season's gone. It's so easy to jump into in-season prospect fatigue. This guy's going to be amazing. He'll be amazing. And then he hits 250 and everyone's like, this guy stinks. What's everyone talking about? No one knows what they're talking about. This guy's blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, there's still massive talent. Uh, I think the strikeout rate lowering is very impressive for his age and what he's doing. Hitting 240 is fine. 23 stolen bases, way over what I thought. I actually, it's almost, it's one less stolen base than he had his entire career before this that he stole, uh, that he has this year, which is crazy. Those numbers went way up. The power numbers are good. That this is just one of those guys that there's no need to press. And I know I do this all the time. I know it's annoying, but like AFL, I think he's going to be the lead name. I think he's the guy that they will send out here, get a full season in the minors. He gets probably a taste of AAA, send him to the AFL to get challenged, just like a lot of these other guys. And he will be the lead star of the Arizona Fall League this year. And then he will be a big potential player to come up next year. But also, you know, Weimer has been really good or solid. Uh, you got Sal Freelich out there in the wings. Like they've got players. There is no need to press Jackson Churio. And it's just not something you do to a 19 year old when you've got other options. And, you know, Brewers are in the race, but DVR. We're not like, hey, no, keep keep saying what you're like saying. The thing. They're not gonna. They're, they're not like going really. I mean, you got to have a little bit more. Like Willie Dom has got to be hitting more than 200, and Corbin Burns has got. You got to get what. There's a lot that's got to work in favor for the Brewers to really be hyper aggressive. There's no reason for Churio to be up. They shouldn't do it yet, but I think by maybe mid May, by this time next year, I do think he's up. I think we'll I see. I agree with that. I I think he's a potential to break camp with the team mm-hmm. next year. I think he's one of those guys, extra pick compensation. Why not? Um, I mean, yeah, Gelich making the all-star. I don't know. There's some questions and it's like, do they want to press it? But I think there's a decent likelihood he breaks camp with the team next year. What about Pete Crow Armstrong? Like, when do you think we'll actually see him in Chicago? Like they're just in this weird spot where they're, they're not so terrible that they're, they're kind of in the middle of a quick rebuild as it is. So when does Pete Crow Armstrong break through? I feel like my easy cop-out answer is like, this is another one of those guys. Like he is going to be in the race for a spot next year. You do have to look at like the amount of guy. like what are they going to do with it? If you've got Bellinger out there and you've got Happ and you've got Suzuki, there really isn't a great place, I suppose, unless you're going to have a Bellinger man first base. That's how you make it uh, easily work. But I just don't think he's um, he's a guy that presses this year. At best, this is a September call-up. I think he's 100% in line. Again, this is not one of those guys. 10 homers, 23 stolen. Every player we're talking about is double-digit homers and 20-plus stolen bases in Lawler, Churio, and Pete Crow Armstrong. Armstrong might have maybe the best combo of all these players. Like, Churio's upside is big. Uh, Lawler might be a little bit more, like streaky hit power than anything else where Pete Armstrong just might be the most complete of all these guys, even though his strikeout rates a little bit higher, but the, the 10 homers 50 plus on the run and RBI numbers, I think is the number three hitter. I love Pete Armstrong. There's been a big debate of like Evan Carter versus Pete Crow Armstrong in the fantasy community. I side with Pete Armstrong and I think he is a guaranteed, well, close to guaranteed guy up before next futures game. But I think like Cheerio, he's competing for a spot in camp. Do you think there's a, a faster-than-expected Major League debut coming from this group? I mean, Ellie De La Cruz, if we had been talking about him this time last year, 
I don't think we would have put him into a segment like the one we just had where we're saying, oh, yeah, we, we Ellie's probably up before this game next year. It was we hope he is or it would be yeah. fun if he was, but it, it would seem like a long shot. I mean, I think I, I could probably put like Brady House in that group right now. Like he's seemingly not going to get a call up between now and the middle of next season because the Nats are in that rebuild. Right. It's, it's, it's part of the reason why James Wood also you're kind of like, hmm. Like the player, uh, just don't want to stash him in redraft leagues right now because the Nats might rightfully take a lot of time to get this core all in place because the big league roster is such a mess right now. Well, I mean, that player might be, and I guess, of course, like there's players in here that, you know, it takes three months for something to change. And could that happen? Absolutely. Brady House could be one of them. I think Jefferson uh, Cuero could be one of those with the Brewers as well. But you know who might be that guy that is the best example of this is Yankil um, Yankel Fernandez with the Rockies, mm. who's already moved up to double A, 20 years old, probably the most prolific young power hitter. I mean, like when did he just turn, I guess he's been 20 most of the time, but one of the youngest to already hit those, um, those big power plateaus, he's moved three levels. He's got 22 homers on the year. His K percentage was really solid in high A. It was under 18%. It's really up right now in the first 11 games being moved up. But yet he's still hitting 263. Young Keel is a wild offensive, big power potential guy. He's going to hit 30 in the minors this year. And that's a guy that like, you know, I don't know if I would be shocked if he's at AAA by the end of this year. And then all of a sudden the Rockies are looking to compete and get their young guys in. He could make that big push that we're not expecting about. Uh, I think Brady House is still a, a bit a ways away, but I would bet on Fernandez to be the shocker guy that gets called up that no one's <laughs> expecting like Ellie. Yeah. I mean, he's having a huge year in the minors, like you said, and the possibility, you know, of getting up as a Rocky playing half his games in Colorado, it's only going to add to that hype as we kind of go through the winter. And a lot of, a lot of this is going to hinge of course on what that strikeout rate looks like over a larger sample at double a, but if he comes in with a 25% K rate at double a at the end of this season with the raw power that he brings to the table, I think you'd be right. I think young Keel Fernandez sees Colorado very early in 2024 because who's blocking him? They, they need anyone and everyone, well, you know, like why, why wouldn't you bring him up? Yeah. You, yeah. We say that, but then it's like the, the Rockies have signed, you know, Daniel Murphy to a three-year oh. deal. Like they do, <laughs> they do ridiculous stuff. We're right. Who is blocking him, but they find a way, you know, it's the Jurassic park. They, they find they, a way. They always do. That's the, the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, in Colorado and Charlie They're Blackman, great. Charlie Blackman's contract finally up. Not, not that I'm like rooting against Charlie Blackman or anything, but there's a guy that plays a lot when healthy that won't be there next year. Presumably that's what they'll do. They'll extend Charlie Blackman. Totally. They'll sign him a three year deal, $80 yeah. million. They're like, we're going to bring him back. Cause the face of the organization, <laughs> young kills got more seasoning and everyone's like, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah. That Randall Gritchick contract probably runs out soon too so there could be a lot of spots in, in that outfield there's a lot of ways for the rockies to screw this up yeah it's another one randall gritchick the extension he signed with the jays ends at the end of 2023 so two spots opening up i don't know why they signed jerks and profar i still don't months have passed still don't know yeah. he's a well, free agent too it's only a one-year deal the reason I thought that was so weird was the amount of conversation was going around zach veen who i don't know if people uh, saw zach veen's out for the year he had a wrist surgery and he wasn't having a good season, but you know, Veen was a guy that they were talking about midsummer being a guy that starts helping at the major league, you know, like helping that major league roster. But now 
he set back. I mean, there's a world where Yankeel Fernandez makes a debut before Zach Veen, which would be wild just because of the setbacks that he had um, pretty much a lost season for him. We'll, we'll see where it goes. But yeah, there there's a lot of potential roster spots that you just hope aren't filled by one year, 33 year olds for like the 12th straight season that the Rockies do this. So we have one non futures game question that I wanted to ask you. And this is a player we get asked about a lot on this show. It's basically, I'm combining multiple questions, but did we miss something with Christopher Morrell? Was there something in his profile? Have we collectively underrated him? I mean, he's got 15 homers in 44 games with the Cubs this year. K rate, just a tick under 30%. You can certainly live with that if you're going to get to the power anywhere near as often as Morrell does. The projections for the rest of the season are slowly getting better. We're looking at more like 240, 250, the low 300 OBP and pretty big power numbers, double-digit home runs in 50-ish games, which he could play more than that and end up with more home runs. So what do you make uh, of Morrell as you know, maybe a development success story for the Cubs and or someone that the fantasy community as a group seemingly underrates? Yeah, I mean, I think underrates is probably a good thing. If the question is like, why weren't we all doing it? I don't know. I mean, I don't think what he was doing in the minors spelled like this is a top 50 guy. Absolutely. His power was probably being undersold. He did have a 200 plus ISO at double A, but this was a guy at 22 years old who had a 30% K rate at double A when he had his best minor league season. So I think there was an excuse there. There's probably prospect body projection. I mean, I'll tell you, Chris Morrell was never like hugely on my radar but also what they did with him was just kind of odd you know he went from double a in 2022 to the majors you know that was the jump in that time in double a you saw him fix his strikeout issues but then the power was kind of back down even though the iso was up and then he just boom came on the scene so yeah i think strikeout rates i think body projectability sometimes make these players um hard to gauge on. I think the strikeout rate ultimately is the thing that has been against him this whole year. Like he had that crazy output at the beginning of the year when the strikeout rates came back, everyone was like, what the hell are we doing with Morrell? Like, why are we even talking about him? Like, this is, we got to go, we got to get this out of here. Uh, and then he's came back. He's a streaky player. I think I likened him to, he's like a newfound uh, Javier Baez without the same strikeouts that Javi Baez used to have. But Javi would just, go off for six weeks, huge, crazy power numbers, and then he would strike out 30% of the time. I think Morel is in that same mold, which is exciting. So I don't know. I don't know why that's, I don't know why that's your biggest question about everything like that. Like he's a great offensive profile with power that probably not a lot of us got to understand how, uh, I think we underrated the power numbers, which has made the offensive impact. But uh, I definitely wouldn't have guessed, probably with 50 guesses, DVR that this was one of the number one guys you guys are asked about. Yeah, it's it's usually the the in between guys. It's the either the former prospects who have kind of graduated from that and they haven't hit expectations over a couple of seasons. That's the Mitch Keller, you know, like we yeah. had a lot of Mitch Keller questions over the last few years, and then it's the high K rate, big damage types that weren't necessarily popping as prospects. And this profile is like a little more common than it used to be, but. At the same time, like I'm looking at the the best speed leaderboard again. We talked about that maybe a week or so ago. It just takes a look at the 50% hardest hit balls that a player has and takes the average of those. Christopher Morrell, not surprisingly, very high in that category. 103.7 is his best speed. That puts him 
34th actually ties him ties him at 30th out of 530 players on the leaderboard. So it's power that he gets to a lot. The thing in the profile that we talked about maybe two weeks ago is the pull rate. He pulls almost everything. Like There is a, an alarming amount of pull there, but you're talking about a guy that's gotten one season's worth of big league plate appearances. He could make some adjustments. Clearly has some bat speed. Like That helps. That goes a long way. This is a good a lot starting of bat point. Speed. You know, another way to look at it, too, I was thinking about, I, I feel like, you know, would want us to mention this, but, you know, in double A, if you're, if you're really focusing on that year where there were big strikeout numbers, but he had 17 homers and 16 stolen bases, he had a 54% pull rate, but a 35% ground ball rate. So, I mean, looking at that ground ball rate, lower ground ball rates with big hard hit numbers, bat speed, and um, overall pull, I, I think that kind of maybe speaks to it as well. I think that might be one of those things that jumps out of like, why can you have success? There it is. Ah, so bringing it back to the very beginning of the show, Morel, who's already been up in the big leagues for a few weeks now, how does he compare to Kowser and Colas and Matos and some of those players? If you were looking at all these guys in a shallow league, is Kowser still, for, for you, like the more... Uh, stable offensive profile and the guy you'd still want to bet on the most? I think long-term. Long-term, I would bet on Kowser. Uh, this year, I think, I mean, Morel has inconsistently, consistently been the player that we know. Does that mean, <laughs> you know what I'm saying by that? Like, you know, he's gone through the swings. He's dealing with the strikeout rates, yet he still has 15 homers, a 300-plus ISO, um, and hit 282. Do I think he's going to hit 280 by the end of the year? No. I think it'll probably be closer to, you know, probably 250, 240 by the end of the year, but he's going to have close to 30 homers. So this year I would take him, but long-term it's Kowser. Yeah, the other part of the profile from a long-term perspective that I'm really not sure about is the stolen bases. He was 10 for 17 as a base dealer last year. That was under the old rules. Uh, not taking off as much so far this year, but that's also a symptom of hitting a lot of home runs, as we like to say. Yeah. When you hit a ton of homers, you don't have stolen base opportunities. You you cleared them by hitting the ball over the fence. That's a good thing. Um, but where he falls in that category over the course of the season is going to go a long way towards determining is he this uh, high K rate masher or is he actually a, a possible five category player when things are running good in the batting average department? That's still the category where I think he actually has some considerable downside when things aren't going well. But yes, I think we all underrated Christopher Morell and, and the reasons why are a little bit complicated. They probably vary a little bit from person to person. And we will all sit in the corner. We all sit in the corner and think about what we've done. Yes, that is what we will do. We are going to go on our way out the door. A reminder, you can get a subscription to The Athletic for just $2 a month for the first year at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. You can find Welsh on Twitter at is it the Welsh? You can find me at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Friday. Mm-hmm.